This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh, based in Hiroshima, Japan. Today I'm talking with Susan Mercer, who runs Heart Tokushima, that helps abandoned and homeless animals, dogs and cats around Japan, find new homes after being trained and treated and made healthy. Hi, thanks for joining today. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, check out inboundambassador.com. And you can also find me on buymeacoffee.com slash JJ Walsh to get some bonus information and insights from the series. And your heart, Tokushima uh, nonprofit that you've, you've been running with your husband since 2006, is that right? Yes, yeah, we started the organization 2006. Thank you so much for joining and giving us some insights into the great work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. So I was watching your wonderful 2017 TED Talk that you and your husband did together and you were doing the English and he was doing the Japanese and talking about how you got started. Could you just give us a little uh, brief summary of how, how you got started with this? Yeah, sure. Um, I came to Japan in 2000. Um, I was planning to teach English for a couple years and then go home and, and find a career and start a life there. Um, and about two months after I arrived, I found a kitten in a cardboard box at a convenience store. Um, so we picked up that kitten, obviously, and raised her. And, um, and then continued to find kittens. <laughs> and um, after, I believe we had seven kittens at the time, I, I knew there was something that we had to do. Um, we were at our limit um, personally as for for number of pets owned um, and I did some research and found out there were no rescue organizations here um, no shelters that would take in animals without the risk of them being gassed um, so um, we met other like-minded people and we started hurt oh, wonderful and uh, recently, uh, you were featured in the Japan Times. You've been in the Japan Times a few times, it looks yes. like, um, yeah, over the years. But it was so nice to see that article right before I'm about to interview you because it was great research for me. <laughs> and then uh, also there was a Japanese documentary filmmaker that made a film about you and your husband and all the work that you're doing at the end of last year. And that was, it was really informative for me to see how hard it is, like from dawn to dusk and you have two small kids and you're doing all the website updates. Uh, you're ta not only taking care of the animals, but going back and forth between the shelter, not the shelter, the animal, what do you call it? The um, I guess rescue shelter is it rescue shelter run by the city is it no it's actually a it's a organization a nonprofit so um, it's confusing because in North America we say shelter meaning government run um, here in Japan we say a shelter meaning 
non not a private shelter um what would be a shelter in north america i guess is the animal control the dobuts aigo kanli center which is government run here so we do have a private um rescue shelter where we have 100 dogs and 50 cats at the moment and uh, it's completely run on donations. It's a nonprofit, is that right? That's right, yeah, completely by donations. Wow. And you're, you were talking about uh, how when you first started in 2006, you became a nonprofit registered in 2010, but you started in 2006. And uh, at that time, there were about 10,000 dogs and cats being killed in Tokushima, is that right, every year? Yeah, so the yeah, back then it was over 10,000. Um the live release rate was only about 7, 6 or 7% and it was mainly um um uh, the animals going back to their original owners, so people that were looking for their lost pets. Um yeah, so it wasn't a place where you'd want to bring a, a dog or cat that you you rescued. Um, the chances that they would make it out of there were very, very slim. Um, but it's improved so much over the thankfully. Yeah, you, you said that it has come down mainly due to your efforts, thank you so much, uh, to 1,500 a year now is still being killed or? Yeah, last year, uh, not just our efforts, um, we've had a, a big part in that. Uh, since I got involved with this, I was very vocal about uh, about a lot of things that could be going better. Uh, last year, very wonderfully, um, 752 animals were, were destroyed, which isn't great. Of course, we don't want any animals to be destroyed, but the difference between almost 11,000 and now uh, 750 is really, really something to celebrate. Yeah. Well, that's a, a big improvement. That's wonderful to hear. Um, is that typical of most areas around Japan, you would think? Um, yeah, the numbers are decreasing. Um, I believe in the country, it's only about a 20% live release rate. Um, and in Tokushima, we are anticipating over 50% live release rate this year. Um, so I think Tokushima is, the, is uh, number five for the number of animals destroyed in, in the country, but we do have a, a larger a live release rate. So more animals that are going in there are getting out alive, getting out to organizations or adopted through the through the Conley Center, um, yeah, or return to honor. So. Wow. And of course, uh, many people listening will know the hashtag adopt don't shop. Um, do you, you feel like the, the pet stores are a big part of the problem? Why there's so many homeless dogs and cats in Japan, would you say? I think it is an element to the homeless pet population. I think that a lot of people do um, impulse buy. Um, also, there aren't many where if you adopt an animal, the, the organization or the individual will look at your life circumstances before they allow you to adopt 
stopped a pet from them. Uh, the pet shops, it, the animals are commodities, so they're not looking at the people's life circumstances. Um, they're selling puppies to sen seniors that are, you, you know, 80 older individuals that um, don't probably don't have a 20-year time period to look after that animal until the end. So I think it does contribute to the problem. Yeah, I'm always surprised when you see like a, a pet store uh, right next to the drinking area, right, right next to the the most popular shopping area. And I mean, yeah, everybody likes to look in. They're super cute. Um, but it's what you're talking about. The impulse buy, the buying it like any other product. Right. Is, is part of the problem, right? There should be a bit more thoughtful consideration of how this creature, this living creature, is going to fit into your family life for a long time, right? Right. And then also the puppy mill industry that, that are supplying the pet shops is a, is a very big issue here. Um, we often hear of um, breeding facilities that go under and that there are like 200 or 300 animals that are now in need of rescue. So rescue groups around Japan will will take in 50, 100, 200 um, um, animals that were used for this profit industry. So yeah, it does. Didn't that happen with you recently? You took in a bunch of puppies from somewhere, right? Yeah, the puppies were actually from the animal control, the local animal control. So here we have a large here they are, <laughs> if you can hear them. Those are them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, in Tokushima, in the countryside of Japan, we have a larger feral dog population. Um, so what happens during puppy season, the, the authorities are able to trap to catch the puppies. Um, it's almost impossible to catch the the. the for the adult dogs. Um, so we have a huge number of puppies going into animal control in about every year, it's like March, April. Um, yeah, so this year was actually the largest number of puppies that we saw at their facility in, oh gosh, since we started, I believe. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, my, my son, my high schooler's son was telling me uh, one of his friends did a project and they said in the pet stores, the puppies are only wanted when they're up to a month old. And any older is, they're kind of too old already, even though they're so obviously still puppies, right? Yes, is yeah. right? Yeah, um, so now they, they just changed the law, so pet shops aren't allowed to sell puppies less than, less than 60 days old. So uh, the smaller they are, the, the easier they are to market and sell, basically. But you often hear of um, five, six-month-old puppies or kittens that are, like, marked down, half price, and whatnot. So, yeah, the smaller, the cuter, the easier they are to sell. Now, one of, one of the things I'm really impressed um, that you have is dog training certification, and you now have a training facility so that when you take in the dogs, you're able to train them and make sure not only they're ready to be around humans, but they're actually well-trained dogs by the time they're adopted. That's wonderful. 
Yes, yeah, we try to do our best to, to integrate them into home life as, as much as we can. Um, it's also really good for their enrichment and their quality of life at the shelter um, to, to get that one-on-one -on -one time with, with the st well, me or the staff um, and to get some basic training uh, works their mind and also um, makes a connection with people, which is really, really important for, sh for shelter dogs. That's wonderful. Did you do that online? It looks like an international school. Um, I did. Um, I got my my certification through Karen Pryor Academy. It's a professional course. Um, the first six month. It was a six month course plus a practical exam. So we did on. I did online uh, with my mentor for six months, and then they actually had the practical here in Japan. So I went to to Yamanashi and spent two weeks there um, to do the practical exams, so. Wonderful. Yeah, if you're a, a dog owner, what is one of the benefits of having a trained dog? Oh. Um, there must be so many, but. Well, there are so many. <laughs> trained dog. Um, well, it, it prevents problem behaviors, so having a trained dog, they're, they're doing the behaviors that you want to see and um, not behaviors that are going to cause conflicts in the home. In the home. Um, also, those dogs, um, the, the connection they make with their owners just from the training between them and the trust that, that um, develops through, through positive reinforcement training. Um, also easier to take on outings. Um, yeah, there are so many benefits, so I really recommend positive reinforcement training for, for anyone that has a dog. That's great. Do you also teach um, training to owners? Um, I don't because of the language uh, barrier. I can speak Japanese to communicate, but when we get to, into technical words um, and vocabulary, it's quite difficult. But I do pass on to my, hus my husband's Japanese, so I'll give him the information and then he, he can um, counsel or give suggestions and advice to um, mainly our adopters. That's why I did the court, the dog training course was for our rescued animals um, and then I, we continue to um, um, keep in touch with them after their their animals are adopted so we can help with any problems or behaviors that they need some advice on. That's nice. How about your volunteers? Do you also train your staff or volunteers a little bit? Yes, a little bit. So we're actually this year we are going to get a training and enrichment program up and running at the at the shelter um, uh, on a larger scale. So we'll get all our staff and volunteers involved with that. Yeah, so we'll pass on the knowledge to the staff and volunteers as well. That's great. Um, you are always, it looks like from the website, you're always trying to do a, like an intake of new volunteers and it's been very difficult, I imagine, during coronavirus. Yes, yeah. Um, we normally have three to four volunteers staying with us for um, on a long-term basis, people who are traveling within Japan from abroad. And since Corona, unfortunately, it's been only one person <laughs> at a time. Um, but our volunteers that do stay with us long term are really, really great. Um, and our volunteer right now, she's from Germany. 
um, she came in in January, so she had to um, quarantine for two weeks, and it was a long and expensive process, but um, yeah, she came to volunteer, and she'll be with us until the end of July, so it's very helpful. Oh, that's wonderful. That must help a lot. Um, oh. I was I was so impressed by everything that you and your husband are doing, uh, not only going back and forth with the the private shelter, but now you did a crowdfunding as well uh, to work on spaying, neutering um, the cats. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, we uh, started a crowdfunding campaign to open a spay neuter clinic here in the community, and luckily we were successful thanks to all the donors. Um, and we started in September. So we want to um, we want to provide low cost, uh, high volume spay and neuter to, to the community here in Tokushima. And it, it looks like your doctors doing the spay neuter are they there at this clinic full-time or are they doing other vets and do this part-time and um, are the vets that come here are actually all from out of prefecture uh, we have one vet that comes down from hokkaido one that comes from itami and one that comes from osaka they all run their own spay neuter clinic so they're quite busy so they'll come um, on their days off um, to, to um, do operations here. So we're open anywhere from two to five days a month. Uh, but even in two to five days, uh, in one day, about 25, 30 uh, cats can be spay or neutered. So since September, we've had, I believe, 26 days of operations here and we have spay and neutered i think 800 i have it on the wall over there uh, 824 cats wow <laughs> which now, is yeah that's amazing and we we've adopted um some strays that were born just outside our house i was able to trap them spay and neuter and release the moms and then spay and keep the kittens and they see each other every day and we still feed the moms. Um, but I remember paying for all the cats to get spay and neutered was really expensive. It was about 20,000 each cat. So if you, you know, can set up this kind of clinic where it's a bit more reasonable for people trying to bring in strays and get them spay and neutered and help with the population, uh, this is a big problem in Japan, right? Yes, yeah, it's a very big problem. Um, we charge 5,000 yen, male or female, for any cat that comes into our into our clinic. Um, most clinics, private clinics here, it's 15,000, 20,000 yen per cat. Um, so that's a, a big difference, especially when we're talking about somebody who's feeding 10 or 15 cats. Um, you know, 10 cats it's at 20,000 is quite different than 10 cats at 5,000 yen. Uh, so we do see a lot of people using our clinic that if we weren't here, they wouldn't be spaying and neutering the cats that they're looking after. Yeah. Like I've been to some islands um, around maybe in Kagawa or other areas and they have a sign that says, uh, we will pay for spay and neutering if you catch the cats. We'll give you the the traps and you can catch them and bring them in. So there are areas that seem like they're funding it more and trying to get on top of the problem. 
I read somewhere that one cat can have 50 kittens in the lifetime. Is that right? A lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So now we're looking at three seasons. So one cat, one female cat can give birth to four to eight kittens one time. So that's three times a year. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. they can have after... Right. After six months, they can start having their own kittens, right? We actually, we, we, a cat was spayed here and she was only four months old and she was pregnant. So from four months old, it's, um, so in those huge, those huge numbers, it's so difficult for us to wrap our head around. Right. Um, but yeah, basically like mice or rabbits, it's the same thing. Um, yeah. Wild. I was talking with an author the other day who wrote a book, uh, The Cat in the City, about a cat linking together people's stories in Tokyo. And it was, it was really interesting. He studied for his PhD the history of cats in Japan. And they came over on yeah. the ships to protect the Buddhist texts oh, on wow. the boats. Oh, so wow. to keep the rats away from eating the texts, they brought the cats. So that's oh. how cats came to Japan. Oh, I wow, thought that's... that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> yeah. So you did a, a crowdfunding for the spay-neuter clinic. Um, yeah. You also did another fundraiser to do the training facility. Is that right? Yes. Um, we were approved for a grant from Dogs Trust UK, uh, Dogs Trust Worldwide. Um, and we had to do the fundraising for half of the cost of the building. So we were able to fundraise for that amount and then the the grant was released to us. So yeah, we've had some successful fundraising. That's <laughs> even, wonderful. Even during coronavirus, right? Yeah, so yeah. I have to so, say. So tell me a little bit, I saw this on your website, tell me a little bit about how, how much it costs to run your facility um per month it now we actually have five salaried staff because the number of volunteers due to covid is down um also local volunteers are more hesitant to come to the shelter because of the covid situation here uh, so with five paid staff we're looking at probably and the clinic now i would say per month it's one million five hundred thousand Plus, depending on the the condition of the animals that we're rescuing, the condition they are they are in, and any medical needs that they have, so it it can be quite quite costly. It's um, yeah. Um, I I wanted to ask you about that because you want to choose animals to take in that can be trained, that can become domesticated. Um, so there must be some animals you decide not to take. Is that right? Oh, it's a difficult thing. It really is. It's a really difficult thing to to decide. Of course, we we don't really discriminate um, on adoptable or animals that have. Um, any kind of behavior issues in the past. Also, we do sometimes take in feral dogs. It really depends on the situation and the space and resources we have at the time. 
Um, so we generally, I, I think, um, the animals at animal control. We want to we want to save the animals that that can easily integrate into a family life um, quickly um, to get the the length of stay in all the shelters down down to a minimum for that animal. Uh, but we also do see a lot of dogs and cat well recently not so many cats go into animal control that do have behavior issues um that that are really feral animals um and we occasionally do pull those animals as well to give them a chance so it's really it's really just um it depends on the day and the animal and, uh, yeah. and maybe the conditions that they were living in is that right uh yeah so so animals that have a, a bite history that are a danger to the public we we wouldn't pull from animal control um animals that have a bite history that that's a result of learned behavior or um something we can work with that dog on we will we will pull but of course that depends on the space we have available at the shelter at our shelter at that moment and you also were involved with um, helping animals that were displaced after the Great East Japan earthquake, the Tohoku disaster in 2011. Is that right? Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, so we joined um, with other organizations here in Japan to help as many animals as we could in the area. We, we're down here in Tokushima, which is really, it's quite far <laughs> from Tohoku, uh, but we did make five trips up to the area um, during, just after, oh, sorry, okay, the were saying something. Um, after the earthquake to pick up animals or, or to deliver supplies to owners in the area. Um, thankfully, with the cooperation of the other organizations that we were working with here and at to in Tokushima, we were able to bring back 130 animals to safety. So. Wow, that's great. Um, so there was another story that you were talking about uh, you found 30 dogs tied to trees in the forest at one point? Yeah, so that was right at the beginning of heart. Um, we were mainly from 2006 until it was 2009, I believe, with the mountain. Uh, we were mainly concentrated on cat rescues, so I did rescue the cats and find homes for them quickly. So we had very few animals with us at any one time um and then we were contacted about the mountain i think there were there were totally yeah about 50 animals and out there um there were two women two middle-aged women that had um rescued dogs from various situations and were keeping them tied to trees on on um, a mountain in the neighboring city here. Um, that rescue actually took a long time, but we eventually were able to to uh, rescue all the dogs from from them. So wow. you had a lovely story about one of them, Husky, was it? Oh. Husky, yeah, she was our favorite, yeah. She was one of the first dogs that we rescued from that situation. 
Um, and I didn't think she'd make it. She was in really, really bad shape. So that's what, that's why she was one of the first ones that we took off the mountain. Um, she had filaria and her heart was enlarged and she was full of a fluid. Um, and so I, I actually, I had asked the vet to euthanize her and he said, okay, well, let's, um, let's drain the fluid and see how it goes. And, um, miraculously, she lived like seven, eight years after that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. And she she was a she was a nutty, 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 <laughs> nutty, sweet, husky looking. Um, yeah, I, we still have one of our volunteers years ago made a portrait, painted a portrait of her. So it's still on the wall at the office in the shelter. So when things get really hard, I look at her her portrait and think, yeah, she's still watching over us, keep, <laughs> telling us to keep going, keep going. <laughs> so Aww, that's so sweet. Um, I'll just as we're talking about other things about how to uh, donate or how to support what you're doing, I'll show pictures that you have on your website now of dogs and cats that are available to be adopted. Are you also doing foster care as well? Um, we have a limited number of foster homes uh, right now because we're really stretched thin with um, our workload. Um, to have a foster program is not something that's feasible for us right now. But of course, if people are interested in fostering to reach out to me and we can discuss options. Yeah, you've got a lot of puppies right now. And yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, how the heck do you keep thinking of new names? How do you name them? <laughs> I have a list. I have a list and a notebook. So if I hear a word or I see a sign or I look at a menu and there's a cute name there, I'll write it down in my notebook. Um, so I can pick from that. Or I'll just go to the to the internet and say like uh, dessert names or <laughs> candy bar names or um, <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot of animals that should be like pole two or pole three. So we get a lot of like kudos and pochis <laughs> and um, yeah. So we do have repeat names as well. <laughs> And it looks like you have people who drive from other areas to come and adopt, is that right? Yeah, so most of our adoptions, I would say 98% of our adoptions are out of prefecture. Um, so either they come to Tokushima to meet and then adopt the animal, or my husband drives out once, once or twice a week, depending on how many animals have been approved for homes. So actually this Friday, he has he'll be driving five animals out to homes in various parts of Kansai. Oh, wow. Um, and, and do you coordinate with other rescue centers around Japan? Like, yes. I, I remember in the article, I think, Japan Times, you were talking about uh, collaborating with ARC in yes. Kansai. Is that right? Yes, yes yeah. So we have, um, we have uh, close relationships with quite a few groups here. Um, so if we need any extra helper, or if we have animals that, for example, for the puppies, we've actually worked with a number of groups. About six organizations have taken in uh, puppies um, 
on our behalf. So, of course, there, there are groups that we, we have a long relationship with that um, we trust um, with our animals. So, yeah, so we're, we're able to actually save a lot more lives than, than we could just on our own. So collaboration and cooperation is really important in this kind of work. That's wonderful. Um, I read somewhere that you were also taking in companion dogs, that companion dogs were maybe the owner died or? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. You get, um, yeah, we have a lot of um, people that call us about a family member who's passed away who ha- or has been put into an old age home and no one in the family can look after the, the dog or cat. So, yeah, we do. I'm um, taking quite a few over in a year, I would say probably probably 10 animals come in in, in that situation. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever collaborate with some of the old folks' homes? And take some of the cats or the the more docile pets for them to to pet. And I know that they think of it as therapy in in many hospitals or elderly homes. Is that right? Yeah. So that they do have a therapy dog or therapy cat program here. One of our our dog Sunshine is actually a registered therapy dog, Footy Icon. She's called. Um, uh, we don't. We don't go out to the old age homes, but we do go to um, nursery schools or elementary schools uh, and do humane education lessons with the kids. Of course, now since COVID, that's all been put on hold, but yeah, a number of times we have done that in the past. You do training with dogs. Is there any kind of training that you do with cats to get them ready for domestic life? Um... With cats, mostly it's this, uh, the socialization that's really important. So that it, that in itself is a type of training um, to to develop a good relate to good, a good. Um, just a minute, my mind's blank. Um, association <laughs> with humans. So um, we do do a lot of um, socialization for feral, more feral cats. And it does work. We can also do trick training with cats, too, which a nice, cute video will get a cat adopted really quickly, like give a paw or, <laughs> or stand on their, on their hind legs or, or whatnot. But more, we're more likely to focus on um, the socialization aspect of, of cat training. And do you ever have issues, like, with cats and dogs in the same area? Like, do you keep every dog separated, every cat separated? How do you do that? We do keep the dogs and cats separate. Um, it depends on the animal's character as well. Some cats are comfortable with dogs. Um, some cats aren't comfortable with dogs. Some dogs are fine and relaxed around cats. Other dogs will, uh, their, prey, their prey instinct may be <laughs> um, triggered. So it, it's really important to look at the individual. Uh, but in general, we do, do separate by species here at, at heart. I have adopted, I realize now that there might be a problem that we have three male cats and one female, even though they've all been fixed, yeah. I'm starting to notice the, the male cats have a bit of friction around the one female. Have I, have I done it wrong? <laughs> Thanks. So. Um, cats and dogs also have individual personalities, so it could be just um, 
the female isn't as um, friendly to the other cats or vice versa. It, um, oh, she's, she's lovely. She loves all of them and she'll she'll lick and groom all of them. She's she's like a real little mother cat. She's lovely. Yeah. But, maybe uh, the three don't enjoy that so much. Maybe. Ah, maybe. Yeah. Or they're just playing. I'm just oversensitive. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if they're fixed or there are no hormones um, involved in that. So it's mostly just their individual personalities. It's important to look at the individual. They, they are such characters. Each individual animal is so different and, and yes. moody, you know, yeah. like even like humans, they just, one day they're so loving and the next they're like, no, <laughs> don't touch me today. It's so funny. Um, you have some really innovative ways to raise money. I know that as a nonprofit, raising money, getting funding is such an important part of what you do. Um, I love your art pets fundraise that you did recently. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we did uh, last year, this year and last year, we did the same fundraising um, pro project. Uh, we got the idea from organizations abroad, actually, I think in America and um, uh, in Australia, that's where I saw an organization um, doing that project. And I thought it was just a, a great a great way to get people engaged and it's um, not your regular please donate kind of fundraiser so it was a fundraiser um, and we had a great um, group of artists vo volunteer artists involved this year so it was really fun for all of us and um, yeah I think it was a great success some really nice pet portraits <laughs> yeah it looks great and then on in your Instagram I believe you also had the bad portraits, the bad pet portrait project. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, this year it was a, it wasn't a bad pet portrait, so it should have been because um, I had my son and my son do some portraits. Some of our volunteers also had their children do pet portraits. I was originally going to do some pet portraits and they would have been really bad, but <laughs> with the talent we had involved this year, it was, oh, <laughs> yeah. So there um, weren't any bad portraits. Aw, bless them, sweet little kids. They did a good job. Um, I'm also showing you are selling t-shirts and your, your sons are modeling the t-shirts. They have grown up uh, with all the animals in the shelter. How do they feel about their lives being overrun with animals? Is it just normal to them? Just normal, just normal to them. Um, they've experienced this since they were born. Um, it's just every day for them. Yeah, they certainly don't have a regular, <laughs> regular childhood per se. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so hope I'm hoping it um, it it stays with them into their adulthood, and they do what they can to help animals here as well. Now you have a variety of ways people can help you raise money or get supported. Um, not only can you volunteer, you can sign up through the website. You can buy some merch, such as a T-shirt or harnesses or other. What I what did I see? A sniff snuffle ball. Tell me oh. about the snuffle ball. 
Yeah, snuffle ball is um, it's made with fleece um, and it has little pockets. So you can put treats or dry kibble inside inside the ball. So the dogs actually have to use their, their nose to use their sense of smell to find the treat. And and like a, it's like a puzzle feeder. Um, so they're using their their sense of smell and they're also using their mind to, to figure out how to get those those treats out of the the snuffle ball. We also have snuffle mats that um, that are great for dogs as well. It really it calms them. It lowers their stress levels. Um, it's really great exercise for the brains. Yeah, it seems like a really is like a like you said like a puzzle, a dog yeah. puzzle. Do you have anything like that for cats or is it just for dogs? No, no, that they could work for cats as well. Oh, yeah. Need such a, you wouldn't need such a big snuffle mat for a cat, but yeah, it's the same for cats. Yeah. So little pieces of those dried fish or, or their favorite cat treats in in the mat, and it takes time for them to figure out how to how to get that treat out. But um, yeah, animals will will find their resource, so it's good, it's good work for their brains. Yeah, I think especially uh, cats or dogs kept almost entirely inside. It's nice to have those kinds of activities that you don't need to be playing actively with them the whole time, but they can kind of do something on their own. Right, yeah, and in nature. So for natural, it's a natural behavior for cats or dogs to actually have to search out their food source. Um, so it mimics their natural behaviors as well, which is, is really great for enrichment, for cats or dogs that are mainly indoors that aren't expressing as much of their normal behaviors as they would be if they weren't were outside in the wild so yeah it's good for them and uh we mentioned before we started that i love your photographs um you've become quite a good photographer it's not easy taking photos such beautiful photos of of the animals but you were saying how important it is to get get the animals adopted get people engaged with thinking about adopting, right? Yes, yeah. So years ago, I invested in a good camera, and um, I haven't studied photography or anything. It's just all chance. So I, I just take hundred, like a hundred photos of one animal, and I'm sure to have like two or three really great photos out of those. Um, yeah, but it's really important to um, to have good photos, and I'd like to put more energy now into that little video clips of of each cat and dog because you can really see their personality in in a good photo and in a good video clips. So it's quite important. It just you've done it so well, and it's so important. And then uploading them all all the time up to the website and everything these are so time consuming and you're taking care of the animals and you're also working another job aren't you or yeah i teach english um oh so, my gosh. Yeah, so i teach english as a living um i run heart as a volunteer um yeah so i teach at elementary schools nursery schools um i do some part-time jobs here and there and then my full-time volunteer position is, is hurt so wow. yeah that's amazing and what dedication and you don't how do you not burn out it's been over 16 years now right yes yeah well i've been in japan now 21 it will be 21 years in may and i've been involved in animals since i came to japan in canada i wasn't 
I was just a regular cat owner <laughs> in Canada. Um, so yeah, it's 21 years and how do I not burn out? It's, there, there are times that um, you think, oh, I can't do this another day. And then there are days that it's, wow, all this work has really made a difference and has really been worth all those days that I thought I couldn't continue. So um, it's a roller coaster ride, but this far on, I can really see the difference that we have made. I can, I can see we're at our rescue numbers now are over 2,200 cats and dogs with like 1,900 have gone to homes. So all those years accumulated and all this hard work has resulted in, in that many animals having a second chance and, and going on to happy life. Um, it makes it all worth it. That, that, that's the reward. Amazing. And what a legacy, but I'm wondering, are your kids going to take over at some point? Are you going to be able to take a vacation as a family? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to balance, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure which direction my kids' lives will go in. I'll leave that up to them, of course. I really secretly hope that they will become veterinarians. <laughs> or, but, of course, whatever they choose to do. Um, yeah, as for traveling as a family and um, whatnot. So we were supposed to travel home last year to Canada. My my children has, haven't been to Canada yet. I haven't been home to Canada in 13 years, I think, this year. Um, and we had planned to go back, but because of COVID and, and travel restrictions, we had to cancel our plans. So we'll see. Yeah. Wow. Um, what is the hardest part of your day uh, in terms of taking care of the animals? Is it feeding? Is it walking? Is it cleaning? Is it, what is it? What, what's hard? What's hardest? What's the most fun and what's the hardest? I want to know. For me, cleaning is the hardest. <laughs> um, 150 animals, you can imagine. <laughs> How, how many times we have to clean up <laughs> after them. I can't imagine. Yeah, I have yeah. four I'm cleaning up after. It seems like a lot. <laughs> so there's a lot of garbage here. <laughs> uh, yeah, cleaning <coughs> with dogs also, the, the walking and um, giving the one-on-one -on -one time with them is is hard because dogs... I don't want to say they are, they're not more work, they're work in a different way and it seems to take more energy to to um, take care of dogs. Cats, uh, cats is a lot of cleaning and a lot of snuggling and a lot, and a lot of, um, you know, making sure they have their scratching posts and their toilets are clean and um, yeah, so. I think cleaning is the hardest part. That is, it's hard, isn't it? Um, I noticed that on your website, you were talking about uh, donations of goods as well. So people can buy new goods through the Amazon link or just mm -hmm. shop Amazon for their things and you get credit, which is a great way to raise money. But also you're collecting used goods that people might not need anymore. Is that right? 
Right, yeah. So we always need bedding for the animals. Um, so any old, like now come summer is almost upon us. So um, towel kits and larger size towels um, for the animals to use to sleep on and for comfort, um, futons. Um, we also, for our long-term volunteers as well, we can use anything that is um, house-related for, for them as well. Yeah, so we can basically use just about anything. <laughs> and so, then you, you also said you periodically do flea markets. So what kinds of goods might you be able to sell at the flea market? Uh, so now, of course, because of COVID, uh, flea markets right I don't know if we'll have um, situations like that in the future yeah yeah so it's just household items um anything that um that people think would be of interest to other people I'm sure we all like to shop at flea markets so we know what we're interested in so yeah that's true that's true So anything very useful that the cats or dogs might use or uh, sleep in? You said cages as well. Um, I noticed in the videos some people whose pets had died and they had some supplies like the pet mat, um, different foods or things that that kind of donation would also be really useful for you. Is that right? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, we use a lot of... um, uh, pet sheets or puppy pads, um, any any food, of course, it, it takes a lot of food to feed 150 animals, so food is all, always in need here. Um, yeah, so anything animals can use, we're, we're very grateful to have. Yeah, great. Wow. A lot of, there must be a lot of food and a lot of waste to clean up. It's, uh, yeah, pretty normal, right? But, yes. wow. You need your volunteers as well. I hope um, COVID, you know, things can calm down. You can start getting more volunteers, take some of the load off of you and your husband. Um, looking forward, like what would you imagine might have a very positive effect on the stray animal or the homeless animal situation in Japan? Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, spay neuter really spay neuter um people choosing to adopt an animal um not going to pet shops not buying animals um and a lot of uh, western countries now you can't buy you can't buy a cat or dog at a pet shop it's um outlawed in many many places so um yeah, spreading the word for people just to let other people know that um, you know there there are animals in need of homes that that are looking for to be adopted. Um, yeah. And you've got such gorgeous animals to adopt that I can't imagine anyone looking at your website or looking at Ark and and deciding to go to the pet shop i mean there for one thing the pet shop is hundreds of thousands of yen yes it's not cheap and there's a lot of pets that get abused along the way in not only the ones in the cages but the ones that don't even make it to the cages right right yeah so the the parents that are supplying the puppies and kittens that are at the pet shops, the, the living conditions that they are in are horrendous. Um, yeah, 
and also as you said it's like 200 300,000 or or more to buy a puppy from a pet shop normally um, we have right now at our shelter so and any rescue will have uh, purebreds uh, we have a poodle an eight-year-old poodle that was relinquished by his senior owner that couldn't look after him anymore um, we have a miniature schnauzer that found itself at animal control um, in really bad shape he's cleaned up like it's, it's just a gorgeous dog such a nice dog of course some health issues he wasn't looked after very well um yeah so you can adopt dogs or cats from from rescue organizations the same breeds that you you could buy in the pet shop so that's another that's a better option than than buying from a pet shop or breeder yeah for sure and it's not just for vet care it's not just spay and neuter, right? Like, do you also do the shots? Do you do the flea and tick medicine? There's a lot of other costs along the way, right? Yeah, so so at our spay and neuter clinic for our clients, of course, the, the, and the cats that come in here, we do spay and neuter, we'll do a flea tick treatment. Um, we also have a vaccine option for, for the cats, um, microchip option for our clients, but our rescued animals, all of them are spayed or neutered. Um, of course, flea tick, dewormed, microchip vaccinated and tested for any illnesses. So rescue itself, to rescue an animal itself costs an organization a, a lot of money, so yeah. Wow, so you're putting uh, microchips in the, in the animals. That yes. would help a lot if they get lost. Is that usual in Japan? I've never heard of microchipping. Yeah, well, now it is. When we started our organization 15 years, 15 years, 16 years ago, um, we were told by the animal control here it's impossible. We can't start microchipping. Well, it's just not not a, a it's not a viable option. So, but now I think about three years ago after. After the Tohoku earthquake, the Ministry of Environment um, started suggesting that people do microchip their animals. So it's pretty commonplace here now. Yeah. Wow. And then are there uh, people in the city office who would have a scanner to be able to see where the dog or cat should be if they have a microchip? How do you do that? What we do... Oh. Do you use it on your GPS on your phone? Uh, <laughs> no. There's no GPS in the microchips yet. Um, so the microchip is normally um, put between the shoulder blades. So if an animal is picked up um, and brought to an animal control or to a vet clinic or even we have a microchip scanner. So if an animal comes in, uh, it the the back of the neck is red and if the microchip number comes up if there is a microchip implanted then we contact the data center and then they'll con um, they'll put us in touch with the owner that it's registered to um, which it's a really great system especially for natural disasters if a lot of animals get separated from their owners um, it's a really great way to get them back to their owners um, that and plus of course, ID on, on a, a collar is really important too. That'll get an animal back to their owner faster than the microchip will. Yeah. The microchip is a backup that is not going to be lost, basically. Yeah. 
to have both options on your pet. One of, because we let our, our cats into the garden, one of ours is like a Houdini about the collar. He has lost like eight collars. Yes. And then somebody said, well, that's better than him dying because he's hanging from somewhere, yeah. right? So I just right. keep buying them. <laughs> but I, I would like to microchip them. So I'll, I'll look into that because if they are lost, um, it'd be nice if someone could use that if the color has gone, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if they'd end up at the animal control, they'll, they'll scan the cat for the microchip and then they'll call you and you'll go and pick them up. So <laughs> it does, it really does save lives. Much better. Yeah. Because once they're in animal control, it's really only about a week that they're kept there, right? Before they're gassed. Is that right? I it depends on the prefecture. Um, here in Tokushima, they normally keep animals longer than one week now. Um, by law, they have to keep them there for seven days to give the original owners ample time to to find their lost dog or cat. Uh, but here in Tokushima, uh, they do keep animals two weeks, one month, sometimes even longer. Um, so we're at that point now. When we started, when we first, when we were first rescuing from animal control, they were gassing every day. And now they're probably gassing once every two weeks um, or once every three weeks, which it's still sad, but the, the vast difference um, yeah, we're at we're at numbers now. And when I walk into their facility, and I, I feel like this is doable. Whereas when we started, it was like this is just too much. I mean, how do you choose? How do you choose two dogs or two cats from 100 animals that are here in the facility? So, yeah, yeah. It's really hard. Well, it's it's progress. It's improving. So that's that's good news. Um, so is the animal control, are they sending staff out to collect stray cats and dogs? Yeah. Uh, by law in Japan, because of the rabies, uh, rabies vac vaccination laws and also the registration laws, um, all stray dogs have to be captured. Um, now they are not capturing cats and they are not taking cats into their facility, which is a good thing. Um, that's due to, um, a lot of people doing trap neuter return. There are a lot of um, individual volunteers here that are really focused on trap neuter return. Um, now, because we have the spay clinic, it's easier for people to access this this service in the community. Um, yeah, so we'll see a we'll see a really big decrease in the number of animal of cats gassed in their facility, um, which is great. Yeah, that's good. Um, have you found it more difficult to catch males than females? No. In traps? <laughs> just, just as easy, either. Easy, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and it depends yeah. on the heat, the Hatsujo season as well. So, yeah, but about equal. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because uh, there's a male cat in our neighborhood, and I'm pretty sure he's the reason we had two lots of kittens in two years. Um, and he walks with his tail down, which someone told me is, is a obvious sign he hasn't been fixed. 
Yeah. And so I keep trying to catch him, and he just is so hard to catch. Oh, really? <laughs> you do have a trap. I have a trap. Yeah, I trapped both the moms, um, no problem, years ago. All the kittens I trapped. But the the tomcats, the male cats, I cannot catch them. There's two in our neighborhood. Yeah. They're you tough. Should be did, did you try the canned sardines? I, I tried the smelliest fish I could find, yeah. He's a smart one, that smart, one. Yeah. I think he, he likes his uh, stud of the neighborhood, maybe. <laughs> his uh, claim to fame, I guess. <laughs> I'll get him. I'll get him someday. Um, if people see strays in their area, what advice would you give? Like, should people try to get a trap and try to catch the strays and get in touch with their local animal office or? Yeah, get in touch with um, some the the local authorities or even any organizations in the area and see if there is a, a trap, neuter, return, spay clinic in your area. And of course, um, to to help reduce the homeless pet population by doing your part as well. Um, spaying and neutering one cat might not seem like a big, big difference, but it really, really is. If, if we have everyone doing a little bit, like the big, the huge impact it will have on, on the whole situation will, will be drastic. So, wow. yeah. Thank you so much for that. And is there anything coming up for you and any aims that you have right now that you'd like people to know about? Not right now. No, we don't. That's but good. Please, That's good. Yeah. Please stay connected to um, us on social media and then take a look at our homepage too um, for any upcoming projects. And of course, we're always uh, very grateful for any support anyone can offer us. Yeah, that's great. You've got a lot of great information online, uh, both in English and Japanese. Very easy to find. You're on Instagram. You have a YouTube channel. Uh, you're on Facebook. And of course, your main information is on your website, uh, heart-tokushima.com. Heart yes. yes. Wonderful. With a very cute doggy on the, the front. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining, Susan, and thank you so much for all the wonderful work that you're doing. I think it's it's not only about the animals, it's about our community and having healthier communities, which are kind of held to a higher standard in, in terms of ethics and, and how we want our community to be. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you. And tomorrow uh, is a national holiday in Japan, so we're taking a day off from the talk show, and we'll be back on Friday, 5 p.m., talking to Laura Blackhall, who has been working on a remodel project of an old Japanese house. So join us again then. Thank you, everybody, for joining today. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you, Susan. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you want to learn more about the work that I do, have a look at inboundambassador.com. You can also sponsor the work that I'm doing on the YouTube channel, Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, Coffee, or Haps. Have a great day.